So if you've been part of the um, church family over the last few weeks, you'll, you'll know that we've started this new series on uh, Fruit of the Spirit. Um, and <clears throat> that's uh, been an exciting new adventure for us. I, I was saying for those that have been part of the family, you know, when, when, I, when, when God first said to me, I, I really want you to do Fruit of the Spirit from Galatians, I kind of thought, oh, really? Can we do something proper? Because, I, as I said the last couple of weeks, for me, I just have flashbacks when I was at Sunday school, um, colouring in bananas and writing the word peace on it, and then colouring in a bunch of grapes and writing the word patience. And that, for me, was kind of like, oh, they're done through the Spirit. I've coloured in um, nine fruits with different words on different colours. <clears throat> but as I started looking at it, as I, start, as I started studying and thinking about it, and actually really sensing what God was saying, I suddenly realised, actually, this stuff is really, really important and life-changing. And if we really grasp what it means to be a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with his power and his fruit starts bearing uh, fruit in our lives, then it makes a transformative difference to the community around us, within here, within our own church family, but in the community we live and work and the places we are. Because the fruit of the Spirit is powerful. I talked, of, I talked about having weapons of fruit being weapons of mass impaction. You know, these incredibly exploding fruit. Not sure that's a helpful analogy, but kind of just with creating such impacts in people's lives that they look and they, they think, well, why does this person carry so much kindness? Or where do they get that peace from? Why, why do they have joy in their lives at a time when circumstances are really tricky? And it's not about being a perfect Christian, because we know we're not, but it's about the Spirit of God being in us that so transforms our hearts and lives that it's fruit that other people can see and feed on and actually brings trans- transformation to our community and to those around us. So um, last week we did <coughs> the four of you that remember, well done. Um, yeah, last week we looked at love, which kind of, I guess, is kind of a great place to start. It's the whole um, surround, isn't it? It's where, where it starts. If you haven't heard particularly two weeks ago, which, which was the initial... Um, the initial one, which is kind of the overview and what I sense God saying to us quite prophetically. I'd really encourage you to go and listen to that podcast. It's all online. So that's two weeks ago, and then last week was on love. You can go and pick those up if you want to. They're online on our website. This week, you'll be happy to know, is joy. I'm going to look at joy, fruit of the Spirit, joy. I love that verse um, that we heard, the, the, the kind of passage from Romans, and the, the end bit that Rachel read out so beautifully. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you'll overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That verse for me is actually really, really significant in as much as it, it, it meant a lot to me at a time in my life when things were really, really, really tough. Um, and it, it, things were very, very difficult uh, emotionally, spiritually, all sorts of ways. And I kind of read that verse one day in the Bible. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so you'll overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I felt I felt pretty desolate at the time. But I read that verse and I thought, well, I long for that to be true. Could the God of hope fill me with all joy and peace? And I, and I believe that scripture is really, really important. So we, we're, a, we're a church that loves the Holy Spirit. We pursue the Holy Spirit. We want the gifts of the Spirit. But we also believe in the Word. We want to be a Word and Spirit church. So we take the Bible seriously. If you want a Bible, we've got loads of Bibles here we'd love to give you. If you've not got one, they're here free. Just come and take them on the front. We want to get into the Word because in the Word there's life. God's Word bears fruit in us and helps grow, helps grow truth in us. 
And so I read this verse and I thought, I know that's really important for me. And I don't really, I don't feel it. I believe it's true, but I don't feel it. And I really want to know it. So I remember writing that verse on a big piece of A4 paper and sticking it with blue tack to the ceiling of my bedroom above my bed. So every morning I woke up for four months, I read that verse until I was sick of it. <laughs> and yet I knew it was truth in it. And I longed for it to be true in my life. And I longed for that fruit to be seen. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you'll overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, in God's good and perfect timing, I did begin to overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. And joy was restored more than I'd ever really known. So what do we mean by joy? What is joy? Would you like fullness of joy? Yeah, some of you. Some of you, would you like to wake up? Yeah, maybe. Fullness of joy. Yeah, we'd like fullness of joy. We probably would. But what is that? What do we even mean by fullness of joy? What do we mean by joy? Well, in the world, I guess we're told, the world advertising media would tell you that we're told to value possessions, power, position, that those things ultimately will bring you joy. How many of you will admit to watching Britain's Got Talent? <laughs> I know there's more of you out there. Well done for those of you that are brave to admit it. I've, I've, my, my kids watch it. If I'm honest, they watch it in the early do- No, they do. And they make me occasionally watch it with them, with, with them Peter. Um, <laughs> but if, if they're probably honest, if I went and spoke to Joey and Sam, they would say they watch particularly those early episodes where they have people who literally... Uh, how do I say this, don't have a great deal of talent, possibly. Uh, And actually, you sometimes think, and if I'm honest, sometimes I watch it with a really uncomfortable feeling because it feels like they're kind of, it's a bit like the days when they used to throw Christians into the gladiators arena and watch them ripped apart by lions. There's almost this sort of illness that people rejoice in, these people who are just hideous but who can't see it. And there's this sad feeling for many people some of them have got incredible talents, but for some people, they want their fame because they believe it will make them happy. And, you know, they often interview them, and there's a sadness sometimes in me thinking, gosh, what you're longing for is to be accepted. What you're longing for is for people to acknowledge you and celebrate you. I think those are good qualities, actually. I think God wants to do that. But it's not from getting your hamster to play the banjo, probably, or whatever, or playing the Hungarian nose harp while dressed as Michael Jackson. That's probably not going to do it for the rest of your life. There's more than fame. There's more than success. There's more than adulation because that fades. The world would say possessions. Bigger house, bigger car, bigger TV, bigger spouse, whatever it may be, those things will kind of make you really, really happy. But is that true? Position, power. True joy, I think, isn't found in those things. Temporary happiness can be found in those things but true joy is found in something else John 15 says this some bits from John 15 this is Jesus speaking I'm the true vine, you're the branches whoever abides, that means whoever kind of dwells in me, rests in me if you heard me preaching last week I was talking about love and how God wants us to just dwell hang out with him, whoever hangs out with me and in me and dwells in me and I in him, her it's them that will bear much fruit If you abide in me and my words, Jesus' words, abide in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. 
Because that's what a good, good father does, isn't it? I mean, my kids, they ask for things. And I suppose because I'm a, I try to be a good, good father, I want to give them what's good for them. So some things they ask for, I know actually it's not going to be really good for you. But I want, to, I want to make them happy. You know, when they write their Christmas list, I don't go, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Part of me goes, oh, I'd like to be able to at least some way bless them. A good, good father wants to do that. Our father in heaven wants to bless us. He wants to encourage us and help us in our hearts. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Abide, rest in my love. And then it says these things. It says this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, if you hang out in me, if you, if you get to know me, if you spend your life committed to me, and I'll commit my life to you. Sometimes we think with Christianity, oh, I'm going to have to become a Christian, I've got to give up this, and I've got to follow this rules, and I've got to do that, and I've got to give my life over, and actually I quite like my life. And it sounds like quite a tough deal, right? And in one part, that's true. We're saying to Jesus, well, everything I am, Lord, my money, my dreams, my relationships, my hopes, my aspirations, my desires, I'm going to give those to you, Jesus. And that's a bit scary because I don't know what you're going to do with them. And Jesus says, okay, I'll take them. But here's the extraordinary thing, the extraordinary exchange. He says, you give me all you are, and I'll give you all I am. And the whole church went, that's incredible, I'm stunned, I'm shocked. We hear those words and think, oh, that's, that's quite nice. No, no, no. The king of the universe, the king of creation, Jesus, the lion and the lamb, <laughs> says, give me everything you have. And I'll give you everything I have. I think Jesus has got quite a lot. He's willing to give us everything. His inheritance, his glory, his power, his intimacy with the Father. All the joy he holds, all the hope he holds, all the potential for breakthrough that he holds, he's willing to do it. That my joy, my joy will be in you. That my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. If Jesus' joy is in you, do you think that's why maybe you'll be full? Because how much joy do you think Jesus has? Quite a bit? Fair amount? That you'll be filled. Filled. Your joy may be full. So is it possible, therefore, to be full of joy? Well, either Jesus is a liar... Or it's true. So I think, yes, we can be full of joy. Does that mean everything is going to be wonderful and your life's going to be filled of, of unicorns and rainbows? No, that's not what it means. Actually, in the midst of trauma and loss and pain, somehow the miracle of God's joy is that you can still be full of unincredible joy. I will explain what that looks like and how that feels in a moment. Your joy may be full. So put simply... Tonight's sermon's on the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Well, joy comes from simply abiding in Christ's love. The greatest joy is joy in God. I could stop there. Some of you might like me to stop there. Psalm 16:11 says this. You, it's speaking of God, you show me the path of life. In your presence... 
there's fullness of joy. There it is again. So we can search for joy in all sorts of places, and some places we'll go will bring us a measure of joy. But I don't want to know a measure of joy. I want to know the fullness of joy, and that is found in God's presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. That's what the Bible says. Either the Bible's lying or, or it's true. It, I believe it's true. Fullness of joy, eternal joy can't be improved. Nothing is fuller than full, right? I'm not a scientist. I'm not like Mary. I haven't got a PhD in astrophysics and star creation and radiation and all sorts of Asians. I have no idea when she starts talking about these sort of things in the office. But, I, I, you know, I got GCSE physics B, which I think is pretty good. Thank you. It was enough to help me get a law degree, apparently. But I do know that you can't get fuller than full. Because when something's full, it's full, right? In fact, then it begins to overflow. So fullness of joy. Nothing is fuller than full. That's true joy. That's the, true, that's the type of joy that God wants to bring us. A fullness of joy. Not a little measure For us as Christians, our destiny is to know fullness of joy. We're supposed to. That's the heart of the Father. Now, things steal that and circumstances can rob us from that. But the heart of God, whatever you're at tonight, whether your circumstances are really good, whether your life is great, whether you're challenged, whether you're in real pain, whether you're struggling, whether you're in a place of unbelief, whether you don't even know if God's there, I often say you might not believe in him, he really believes in you. His purpose for you is to give you a fullness of joy. I think that's really, really good news. And in a Pentecostal church, by now people would be leaping from their chairs, shouting amen at me. But I'll take a nice Anglican nod. Mm, That sounds good. I quite like that. Wow, I'm blown away. That's all internal thought processes that I know you're all going through right now. John Piper, some of you know John Piper, he said this. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, in the word and in the world. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. It's really interesting that John Piper says this, if you know John Piper at all. It's a good feeling Ooh, controversial. He said the feeling word. And sometimes in churches, I've been around churches quite a long time, where people get a bit twitchy when people mention the feelings. Feelings are okay. Sometimes we get a bit puritanical about feelings. Ooh, are they from God, feelings? Well, we're not supposed to feel stuff. We're supposed to believe and know stuff. Well, I'm going to come back to this in a second because I actually think this is really important. So he says it's a feeling in the soul. And by that, what we mean is it's not just a bodily reaction. <clears throat> so when we get nervous, Miles said earlier on he, he, was, he was a bit nervous. He actually said, I'm feeling a bit nervous. He said, oh, lovely, lovely voice, really, really, feeling a bit nervous, is what he actually said. And when we get nervous, oh, sorry, I'm quite tired. When we get nervous, like I am right now, wishing I hadn't said that, we get butterflies in our tummy. We get a physical reaction sometimes, or we shake, don't we? So, we, so emotions and feelings sometimes manifest in our body, but that's not a feeling. 
a feeling or an emotion is something much deeper, in a much deeper place. It's part of what makes me, me. It's in our soul, if you like, and it's what makes us different from animals. I'm made in God's image, and, and we can have feelings and emotional, uh, emotional responses that are incredibly deep within us. And joy, I think, is supposed to be in that place. Now, where do we, where do we put that? Where is that? Well, it'll have a joy, really, really deep joy, can have an incredible response in us. So it can cause us to hopefully smile, right? So I can tell right now, you are all filled with, I'm getting so many, wow, this is a tough crowd tonight, so much joy coming at me. Or it can make us cry. Some of you are thinking I could cry right now with joy, screaming tears. Or sometimes it just makes us feel great. But those are feelings inside, those are physical responses. But joy is much deeper than that. It manifests through our body perhaps, but it's a really deep thing right in our soul. And joy is something that wants to be down there. So going back to John, John Piper's quote, it's a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit wants to bear this kind of fruit in our life. And it happens, as John was saying here, as we, as we kind of hang out, as we behold the beauty of Christ. So as we worship, I would hope, in true authentic worship, and that doesn't mean it has to be a band, it, it could be in silence, it could be you know, using an organ, it could be in traditional worship, it might be standing on a, on a mountainside, lost in worship and silence as we stare at God's creation or looking at the stars. But as we worship, we begin to behold the creator, we behold Christ, we see him in all his glory, his goodness, his character, and joy starts to rise within us. And have you ever experienced that? Please help me by some of you nodding like you have a pulse. Yes, very good, thank you. When Christ makes himself known to us in those different ways that I've just described, I hope in worship, then joy starts to rise in us. Because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. His presence comes and he's the, he's the joy bringer, the one who wants to bring joy to us. It's not magic, it's not automatic, but as his heart connects with our hearts, we engage in a deep encounter with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, then we begin to experience joy. And we encounter him in different ways, don't we? Through worship, through works. When we go out into the world, we see him at work and we see him through other people because we're made in his image. We also encounter him through his word. I really want to encourage you to get into the word, get into the Bible. Whatever, however you find Bible study, whether it's online stuff, whether it's the HTB daily podcast stuff, whether it's uh, listening to other churches' podcasts, I've been listening to quite a few Bethel podcasts recently, through daily reading, through all sorts of uh, scriptural reading, whatever it is, we need to get into his word because we encounter him afresh there. And we need to have our eyes opened. And so when we encounter Christ, whether it's through worship or whether it's through the word or out in creation and we begin to worship, something happens to us. In our soul, deep down, we begin to encounter Christ and and our circumstances, which may be screaming out as really tough, but we have almost like a visual encounter with Christ. There's that psalm, isn't there? You know, often you heard the psalmist saying, why so downcast, O my soul? It's an interesting kind of phrase, isn't it? It's almost like his soul is downcast. It's like looking at the ground. And, And when circumstances in our lives get tough, when things, when there's financial pressure, 
or relationship problems or circumstances are tough or maybe we experience illness or bereavement or fear or unbelief. And when circumstances crowd in on us, for those of you that are here that would say you have a faith, sometimes what happens is our, our, our eyes drop. In fact, even the body, our body language for all of us changes, doesn't it? You know, we get hunched shoulders and hands in the pocket and we start looking at the ground and it's not just our souls downcast, it's our whole being, our whole nature, our eyes. Where do we start looking? We look at the ground, we look at our feet, we look anywhere other than perhaps to God. And we begin to look at the troubles that seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I used to ride a motorbike, and one of the first things I was told by a police motorbike rider was, you know, one of the greatest hazards when you're riding a motorbike. Um, I used to have a ridiculously fast motorbike. Uh, I've caught my wife's eye. I used to have quite—I used to have a very sensible motorbike, and used to ride it very sensibly uh, on the motorway and things like that. But I was told by the policeman, you know, often when you see something in the road, like a stone or a pebble or a brick. Everything in you, and if any of you here ride motorbikes, you're honest, everything in you wants to look at this thing in the road because you've seen this hazard, this thing that's looming up in you. And the road's really big, but you look at this thing. And this police motorbike said to me, whatever you do, never look at the thing in the road because what you look at, you hit. Now, I know this sounds culture, kind of counterintuitive, but what you look at, you drive towards. And so, because you often have a split second, though everything in you is saying, there's a brick in the road, I'm going to avoid it, <laughs> you look at it and the bike goes towards it. You have to force yourself to look away and where you look to, you go. If you don't believe me, go and get your CBT license, get a motorbike, put a brick in the road and try and see if, don't do that, really don't do that. But I can tell you it's really, really, really true. And sometimes in our spiritual life, it's like that. When there's a a roadblock or a brick or a a trouble or a problem that comes up and they get big and they loom and they shout really loudly at us, don't don't they? Look at me, I'm massive, I'm scary. (laughs) Thank you. Some joy in the room suddenly. (laughs) And when that happens, we get sucked into it, don't we? And our soul becomes downcast towards this thing on the floor. Again, what is the psalmist saying? One, two, one. one of the, I love this psalm. I lift my eyes up to the mountain. It's like he's reminding himself. I lift my eyes up to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of the heaven and earth. And it's like the psalmist saying, if, if, when I get downcast, and my soul often gets downcast, I need to lift my eyes up to the mountain. I need to look at my creator, my redeemer, because then hope rises within me, and then joy rises within me. Because instead of being transfixed by this problem and this terror that's before me, I remember how big my God is, because he's the creator of the universe. And that brick is a a speck, an atom of a speck to to God. And joy and hope can rise. So back to that thing about emotions I said at the beginning. Because John Piper said, um, Christian joy is a good feeling. It's an emotion. Can we trust emotions? There's been a lot of bad press. Often in evangelical circles going, oh, you shouldn't trust feelings, shouldn't trust emotions. And then on the other thing, the charismatic end of the wing going, ah, it's great to feel all sorts of stuff. I love it. It's all about emotions. How do we we cope with that? What's truth? And the danger is we become like Puritans saying we shouldn't have any feelings. Just we should be neutered Christians who just love the word. 
and I'm very serious about it. I nearly smiled, but I'm not going to. I don't think that's right, is it? Ecclesiastes 3.4 says, There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Not now. A time to mourn and a time to dance. So those of you that love dancing here, come on. Okay. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is to mould the human ability to have emotions into an instrument for the display of Christ. So here's a thought for you. Why do we have emotions? Why do we have feelings? Well, I think it's because we're made in the image of God and God has feelings. All controversial. You're just thinking, do I burn him or is that true possibly? Do you think God has feelings? Oh, you were quite, quite sure about that, some of you. Was that just the charismatics that said that? <laughs> I think God really does have feelings. I think God has emotions. And then maybe I'm teaching you all to suck eggs. Maybe you're all sitting there going, yeah, we know. But actually, a lot of Christians, I think, wonder about this stuff. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to have an emotional response about things because we're made in his image and God has emotions. God is not neutral on those things. But I think the role of the Holy Spirit is to help shape our emotions into ways that are pleasing to him and honour him and actually that become fruitful. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So is anger a sin? Well, that implies it doesn't have to be, but it also implies that you can be angry and sin. And of course, some anger is sin. It's where it gets complicated. But anger as an emotion is not necessary. So when I see injustice or when I hear injustice out in the world, when I hear about the mistreatment of refugees or when I hear about um, racism, either on a big scale or a small scale, or when I see children being abused, and something rises up in me and I'm angry about it. And why am I angry about it? Because I believe God is angry about it. And the role of the church is to speak up for those who have no voice. And to protect the orphan and the widow and the refugee and those who are struggling and those who have been abused. And if you have experienced those things, let me say to you, I'm really sorry when the church hasn't spoken up on your behalf. Or fought on your behalf. And actually what the church has spoken out is judgment or criticism. Or a list of rules that just seem insurmountable for people. Or or hold people that were different at bay. I watched a really interesting video, some of you may have seen it, I don't know, it was about a new pastor in America who had um, just been appointed as the new pastor of this quite big church. I mean, it was a big place, probably six, seven, eight hundred people. And it was the day that he was going to be announced. They knew that the new pastor was going to be announced and he was going to be unveiled. He came to church dressed as a homeless guy. And he, he came in at the back and everyone moved away from him. And then he went and sat on the front row, and the ushers of the church came to him and said, I'm sorry, you can't sit here. Can we, you, we'll, there's a space at the back. We'll, we'll put you back there. And they led him to the back, and they made him sit in the corner. And no one offered him a cup of tea. No one welcomed him. No one spoke to him. And then they unveiled their new, new pastor. And we're a pastor. He's here today. And then this guy comes from the back, takes off his homeless gear, and walks to the front. And the church was mortified. Now, I'm not advocating necessarily for that. But it probably speaks a message that we can become, as a church, 
really judgmental, really critical, not willing to reach out. And how does the father feel about that? Well, he longs for his bride to be filled with love and compassion and mercy and grace. To speak up for the vulnerable, the least, the last and the lost. And to get emotional about it when people are abused. It's okay to be emotional. I've been in a church once where I've heard it said, after what I would have said was a really powerful sermon, that a deeply emotional, touching sermon, touching a congregation with power, was wrong because it was too emotional. Well, it may be true, because certainly people can manipulate, and certainly those things can be there. But you know what? Depending on many things, it may be that a deeply emotional sermon and a strongly felt response may just mean that the preacher communicated really clearly something that was true. And everyone thought, wow. And therefore, an emotional response in us is entirely appropriate, because truth hopefully pierces our heart connects us to the creator and his emotions, which are one of a longing for his church to be radiant and pure and holy and filled with hope and filled with joy and filled with peace. Why do we preach? Well, we don't preach. We don't preach for information. If you'll know that if you've been here. We don't preach for information, but we preach for transformation. That's why I preach. I'm, I'm not a teacher. You do know that. But I long to see hearts transformed. I long for my heart to be transformed by the creator of the universe who longs to transform us. And the word of God can do that. The Bible is supposed to touch our hearts. God's word is supposed to touch our hearts. We have emotions because God has emotions. We feel because God feels. Isaiah 1.14 This is God speaking to his people. Your new moons and appointed feasts, my soul hates. Hang on, is that God saying that? Yeah. My soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of putting up with them. God's looking at the worship of his people who were supposed to be set apart from him. And he was was saying, I'm just seeing religion. I'm seeing the words and all the empty stuff. I'm not seeing your hearts. And you know what? I hate it. I don't want it. It grieves my soul. God's heart can be grieved. The language is so powerful. The shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35, when Jesus encountered, hears that Lazarus has died, that verse, that shortest verse, Jesus wept. Why did he cry? Why did Jesus cry? He knew that he was the resurrection and the life. He knew he could raise him from the dead. Why did Jesus cry? If you read my blog in February, as I'm sure you all did avidly, I spoke about this when I was talking about the number of deaths we've had in our community and how it's been really painful. And how I think in that moment, Jesus, as he heard of Lazarus' death, even though he knew he could raise him from the grave, he's the prince of life. And death is an affront to God. Don't let anyone ever tell you that death is an okay thing. Death is an affront to the king of all creation and life. But death has lost its sting because of Jesus. But I think for Jesus in that moment, he realized the pain and torment that death brings humanity and brings others. And something within him felt that pain. Why? Because God feels deeply. And in that moment, Jesus felt incredibly deeply. There's so many verses you could look at. 
Jesus in Gethsemane when he was anguished, when he was distressed. Why am I saying all that? Well, it's because the Spirit of God has a direct ministry, I believe, to our inner life, our inner emotional side. And this ministry, I think, is critical. We need to yield our emotions, yield our heart, yield our inner self to him and our spiritual life so that he can heal wounds. That's why I think going on the Father Heart Week is a fabulous thing to do or going on Wild at Heart Boot Camp for Guys, or whether it's on some of the Women's Weekends Away, or whether it's stuff we do here. Yielding our heart to God and getting some help, praying through some of those wounds and hurts in our life, allows God to grow fruit within us in a freer, more whole way. Because he wants to bring joy, but so often joy is crushed by the other things that we carry in our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit is what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells in a believer. The fruit is the product of the Holy Spirit's cultivation of character in our hearts and our souls. So, you know, today we're thinking about joy, aren't we? Joy is so different from happiness. We can be happy for all sorts of reasons. Lots of things make us happy. I don't know, when I first was looking at this a week or so ago, and I was just typing in joy and happiness, and of course, that really irritating song came up, Happy. Do you know what I mean? What goes on for like four or five days. That song doesn't make me happy. It made me happy when it first came out. Now I kind of just want to run screaming from the room. Some things make us happy for a while and then that happiness goes. We can be happy but not really have joy in our hearts. And we can certainly have joy while circumstances are really difficult for us. Acts 13.52 And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Here's a tough one. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So joy is found in the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of real suffering, in the midst of difficulty. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings joy, and it's the Holy Spirit that births joy. So therefore, sometimes we have to yield some of the debris and the blockages in our life to allow more of the Holy Spirit to fill us, so that joy can grow in us. I wonder how many rooms in my heart I've closed down to God because of shame or fear or confusion or unbelief. I just shut him out. I say, you, you can have all of my heart, but maybe not this little bit here, because I'm a bit scared or a bit bruised or a bit wounded. I don't know how to even give you that. I'm just too ashamed of that. And the Holy Spirit saying, no, no, I want full access, VIP entrance, all access areas, so that I can come in and heal and bring joy into those places, even in the really deep, painful places. I keep saying we can't force fruit. Fruit grows on a tree. And I'm not a gardener. My mother-in-law will tell you this. She's doing a children's work tonight. I, I kill plants by looking at them. But I do understand the principles of gardening. I've seen people do it occasionally. And I do understand that in order for things to grow, the circumstances around them have to be right. But really, really, really importantly, the soil has to be right. You all know the parable of the four sowers, right? I'm not going to go into that tonight. And there's the hardened path, and there's the stony path, and there's the good soil, and there's the one with the thistles, the shallow soil. That is not a parable about, well, you know, one in four get to hear the gospel, and the rest are kind of slightly stuffed. That's not the point of that parable. The point of that parable is 
How might we need to change the soil of people's hearts in order for them to receive the good seed? We bought a house in Bristol many years ago, and um, the garden was, it was like a swamp to start with, but it was also filled with debris, bricks, building material, plastic bags. You looked at it and you thought, this, this garden will never grow anything. And, and we had, my wife had to change that garden entirely, digging, turning the soil, putting in um, manure things, removing the rubble, removing the plastic. It took a lot of work. But, you know, the soil was transformed and then life burst out in that garden. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and me. He wants to transform the soil of our hearts so that the seed can grow, that fruit can grow, and joy can begin to grow in our hearts. And sometimes that's, that's vulnerable, isn't it? Allowing our heart to be open to God's hands of work. But he's the perfect gardener. And he wants to bring transformation and healing. We're told to rejoice, to know joy, to allow God's work in our hearts. So coming into land, Ecclesiastes 2.26, For the one who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. For the one who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. You know, there's that verse in the Bible that says, Be holy because I'm holy. You know that verse? I often used to think about that, and that verse used to really intimidate me. And I used to think of it as kind of, but I'm not holy, and I know you're holy. And there was a real sense of failure with that verse. You, know, you, could, hear, you could hear God saying, be holy, because I'm holy. And I'm not holy, and I know you're holy, and now I feel more unholy, because I'm really rubbish at this stuff. Yeah, it was incredibly frustrating. But I think that's not how the Father says that verse. The Father looks at his church and says, be holy, because I'm holy. You can be holy, because I'm holy. You're made in my image, and my spirit is here to transform you, to transform the brokenness and barrenness of your heart into a place that is beautiful, where an enormous, glorious harvest can grow. Harvest for your family for your friends, for your neighbours, for your workplace, and you'll grow a beautiful fruit, a yield of peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, and it'll be fruit that tastes amazing, and those around you will look at you and go, wow, this stuff's incredible. How do you get to be this nice? (laughs) And we go, I don't know, it's God's grace, isn't it? Wow, can I just say, Caleb, that was quite an entrance at the back there. (laughs) <laughs> the door's opened and he's strolled in James he can stay it's cool he might be able to help me and so we want our hearts to be open to him God wants us to be a holy people he wants us to be a people that pursue righteousness and pursue his will and yes we're going to stumble and yes we're going to make mistakes and yes we're going to fall but if we have hearts that says I want to be following after my father I want to run after him then what's the fruit of that Well, for the one who seeks to please him and the one who yields to him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. It's simply a life of walking in the Spirit, trying to run after the Father, saying, Lord, I want to serve you, I want to know you. And when we yield to him, the promise of that is his wisdom, knowledge, and joy. So, to conclude, what happens when life really sucks? 
Okay, Tim, some of you are sitting here tonight saying, well, you're talking about joy, but you have no idea about my life. The things I'm facing, the pressures I've got, the the challenges I've got. You've got no idea the battles that I go through daily. And and you're absolutely right, I don't. don't. And if 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 I don't, I'm sorry that I don't. If you're able to share those, we want to journey those with you. Because as church, we want to do that. One of the things we were committed to doing here as church is to say, you know what, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice and everything in between. We want, to, we want this place to be a place of honesty and openness. And too many Christians practice the liturgy of niceness. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Are you good? Yes, I'm good. And you look in their eyes and you think, all I see is pain. And they probably look in my eyes and think, all they see... You know, we, we don't want that sort of niceness. We want to go deep, and sometimes that's vulnerable. To at least have some people you can do that with. Because God knows your circumstances, and God really, really cares. And I'm not, ty- I'm not telling you to smile and say you're fine when you're not. Church is supposed to be a place where we can weep. It's not a place where we start singing the happy songs, try and make ourselves feel better. But I do believe, and this is really important, that even in the midst of whatever you're going through, and God's a God of compassion and mercy, even in the midst of whatever pain you might be feeling, you can still know joy. Because it's not about smiling. It's about a God-given fruit that births deep in you to hold you. James 1, 2-3 says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing your faith produces endurance. I want to close with just a couple of stories very briefly. So some of you have heard me share this before. A number of years ago I was a youth worker and I I worked um, in Bristol in quite a tough area. And one of the, uh, I headed up a youth church and there are a lot of kids there from quite difficult backgrounds and some from really, really lovely backgrounds and they all had different kind of problems. But they knew God, and God had really worked in them. But there was one particular girl who um, I worked with. We'll call her Charlie. That wasn't her real name, but this has been recorded. And her brother, man, her brother was in a mess. Her brother had been through all sorts of things, had started with soft drugs, moved on to hard drugs, started dealing, started getting into trouble, stealing, holding people up with knife point, all sorts of horrendous things. And Charlie really, and Charlie really loved God, and Charlie really wanted to go on with God, but she, she had been adopted as a child, and life, her, her physical family were horrendous, and her, her adoptive circumstances weren't that great, and her brother was completely off the rails, and life was really, really awful, and life often got worse for her. Difficult, other difficult things happened to her as well. And I, I, we had prayed, and we talked, and she journeyed through it, and she was really trying to hold on to God, but it was just... After a period of several months of things getting progressively worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, she came to church on a Sunday night, and I hadn't expected to see her there because I thought she had given up on God. But she came because somehow in church she found God at least there, and there was some sort of measure of hope for her. And at the end of the church service, as we did then and as we do today, we offered to pray for people. And um, I was on the prayer team that night, and I came to the front, and I was over on the side, and the prayer call went out. If you'd like someone to stand with you in prayer, just come forward. And Charlie amazingly came forward. And she came, she came up to me and she was sobbing. I mean, really crying. And she just said, I, I'm at the end. Actually, if I'm honest, I'd rather die. 
because at least then I know I'm going somewhere better, but I can't handle this anymore, and it's too much. She was 18 at the time. And there are some moments in your life when you think, I have nothing to say or offer at all. I'm, you know, I, I didn't, didn't have anything to say. I didn't have any words of encouragement that she hadn't heard. I, I didn't have any trite Bible verses to throw at her to, give her, to make her happy. It was desolate. And so I said, well, we'll just pray. I'll pray. And, and I did what I, I do when I don't know what to pray or say. I just prayed quietly in tongues for her and prayed over her a bit and prayed quietly. Because I had nothing. And, and the, more, <laughs> the longer they were there, the more she cried, the more she sobbed. And it was, it, she was in a real state. After, and then people came for prayer and they went and they came and they went and she was still there crying and sobbing and crying and sobbing. And then she started slowing down and what I was just praying very quietly and she started slowing down in her, in her tears and her, her crying. And I kind of opened one eye and looked at her because I thought, oh, she's still crying. And she made a really strange noise. She went... <coughs> and I thought, oh, she's, does she need a tissue? She's obviously got the snot now everywhere as well. So I'm looking around for a tissue, and I've turned around to get a tissue, and I heard her go... <coughs> and I kind of looked back at her. And she had her head down. It was obviously she was quite embarrassed. And her shoulders started going up and down like this. I thought, this is an interesting manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? And she started giggling. And then started giggling a bit louder and giggling a bit louder and she started laughing and she started roaring with laughter and she was really embarrassed because she couldn't stop and everyone else in the church there were like 200 people everyone started looking across I was like I haven't done anything I don't know what's going on and she just started laughing and laughing and laughing and then crying with tears as she was laughing cut a long story short, it was the most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen. She was traumatized by pain, and I'm not minimizing that. And somehow, I don't really understand what happened in that moment fully. I, I dialogued it with her after we talked about it. She said in the midst of her most desolate pain, she had a bit of a vision of Jesus standing with her, not saying anything, but just simply there saying, I'm with you, I love you, I'm with you, I love you, I'm with you, I love you. And she said something rose up in her <laughs> that she can't explain. And it wasn't kind of, a, oh, that's a nice. It was a joy that cut straight through the pain. And actually for her, and this wouldn't happen for everyone, I'm sure, but for her, made her start to laugh. And it was such a laughter that released and released and released. Had her difficulties gone away? No. But somehow, because of the love of God and the, great, the kindness of God, she met with God in a way she could never have imagined. And she was never the same again after that moment. 